You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads, brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos, I hate calling myself that, and underground metal connoisseur Matt Bacon, who loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports and riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Welcome to another uh, action-packed round of Delirious Nomads, um, episode number I don't know what now, 40-something. Super excited about this one, my man, uh, Tom Maxwell from Hell Yeah, uh, but also from one of my favorite bands of all time, Nothing Face, is joining us today. It's been a long time since I saw you, my dude. Um, how you doing? Yeah, doing great. Yeah. Navigating navigating through winter. Yeah, right? What's yeah, Your heat went out, right? Because we had this scheduled a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, my furnace, it was uh, just a miscommunication with the control panel that wasn't communicating with my thermostat after growing up in new england for 20 years and then living in new york city for 28 years i finally decided i was tired of winter and it was the right call (laughs) but yeah man i want to just jump right into this man so um i think i mean you know this we've talked about it in the past i was a huge nothing face fan i mean i still am but i was when you were active saw you guys perform live probably without exaggeration, 12 or 15 times, D.C., mostly in New York, but D.C., Philly, New York. Dutch think and thought you were one of the more underrated bands of the time. I don't think you guys ever got your due, personally. Appreciate that. That's true. Um, you know, your guitar work is, a, is just amazing. I mean, uh, but, you know, before that, you know, we always like to get into you know, quickly, you know, how did you get there? Like, why did you pick up a guitar? Why was it metal? You know, what got you to Nothing Face? And then we'll go to the future. Well, I grew up in Baltimore and my dad was a musician. He played in cover bands. You know, the, he did like the circuit, you know, the mid-Atlantic circuit. And his band, they were called Paper Cup. That's totally 70s, right? <laughs> and they did, they did a lot of cool stuff. They did Zeppelin and Sabbath and Emerson, Lake and Palmer and Fleetwood Mac. And they had a chick singer who was great. I think it was just imprinted in me at a young age that, and then music was my path. I started playing guitar around when I was about eight, nine years old, just kind of learning like basic chords and stuff. I mean, I was really serious about it. Even as, at a young age, I knew that it's what I wanted to do with my life. Started to develop my own interests. You know, speaking of Kiss, you know, that was a big catalyst band for me. I remember my mom taking me into the record and tape trader you know, it was a music store where they actually sold records and stuff. 
and uh, seeing the Kiss Alive album cover and scared. I was a little scared of it because, you know, Gene Simmons was pretty evil looking and mm-hmm. I saw the fire and uh, I was like, that's exactly what I want to do. And then I really got serious around 11, 12 years old and uh, started playing with other kids in the neighborhood that were, you know, musicians and learned Iron Maiden and Duke Priest and Kiss, ACDC, Zeppelin. We even did Beatles songs, you know, and uh, graduated to Kill Em All from Metallica when that came out. That was a big turning point for me. And uh, that's when I really started leaning in on the really heavy stuff. And, you know, back then when you had magazines, you know, you had the Metal Edge and Hit Paraders and in the back, it was always like classifieds that had like the, the, the bootleg tapes stuff where you could trade mm-hmm. you know and you know people would make their own playlists of stuff and i got into that and that's how i got introduced to bands like slayer and nasty savage and nuclear assault blessed death and uh anthrax testament all those bands and nuclear assault is performing game over in full at the decibel uh metal fest in philly this year yeah i'm gonna have to go just for that you're going to have to, man. I Actually, when we played in South America a few years back, we did a couple festivals down there with Rammstein, and Danny Wilker, Wilker was down there, and I got to hang with him and reminisce a little bit about the days. Yeah, that's cool. My pre-Nothing Face band was called Have Mercy, and uh, we played Lemoore's up in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Awesome. We played some shows with Nuclear Saw, Megadeth, King Diamond. And wow. I was touring even then when I was... 15, 14 year old kid, you know, playing with all these killer fucking bands that you don't realize that at the time you're just so young, you know. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't really know what, you know, Life of Agony was just starting. Like I saw them back when, you know, they were just starting out before, you know, pre record deal shit. And, you know, it was always Lemoore's in Brooklyn. That was the place we always played and went to. It was great. And then, I hooked up with the Nothing Face dudes like in the mid mid nineties, I guess. And uh, boom, you know, I, I was I was never into, you know, I, I started writing my own songs pretty early, like really early. And I was never a good student of music when it came to learning stuff. I failed music class in high school. I just didn't accept, you know, tablature and shit like that. You know, my teacher was just like you're playing it wrong. You know, those chords don't go together. And to me, it was like bullshit. It is what it is. You know, it's, it's great. Or it might not be that great, but I just wasn't a good student. So I started just, you know, writing my own songs at a very early age. And then, you know, was never into the cover band type of stuff. And even in Have Mercy, we were, we were an all original band in Baltimore, but we were like one of the only all original bands in Baltimore. Everybody was, you know, playing the clubs, doing all cover, you know, two, three sets of cover music. And, you know, we're sitting there playing our own songs. But also, you know, we would learn, you know, Hit the Lights from Metallica or Four Horsemen or or Slayer, you know, Hella Waits and, you know, Haunting the Chapel shit. And we were just doing that just to kind of further our musical proudness, I guess, like what we wanted, how we wanted to interpret and write songs, you know, so let's learn from these dudes and then kind of take it from there and add our own shit to it. 
And then I got introduced to like hardcore bands, you know, a lot of the, the upper Northeast stuff, like Sam Black Church, Tree, and oh yeah, and all those bands, you know, really influenced me. Yeah, man. And then Nothing Face just kind of happened, and we just had a thing, you know. We just, you know, it, the, the early records, you could tell when I listened back to them, they were, you know, it, it sounds like a band. It's just trying to find their feet, but at the same time, we still had a, a groove going. We still had something happening, and you know, it, it happened kind of quick, you know, with our journey musically. And we did the Atrocity record, which was still my favorite record that we ever did. Cause it was just so mean and fucking nasty. And mm-hmm. then Vangance came after that, which was the more popular of our records. And uh, yeah, man, that's how it all, that's kind of how it all went down. I go on these long, long walks, right? I'm trying to, I'm trying to lose some, some weight. And so I go to the gym, boxing gym a few days a week, but on my off days from the boxing gym, I go on these long, long walks, like three, four miles. Good. And still at least once a week, I'm pulling out, you know, violence or atrocity and listening to for my walk. It's just still to this day, every single week I listen to that fucking band. So thank you so much for the work you did with that band. <laughs> thank you for uh, liking it. Yeah. So this is kind of a weird question, but growing up in Baltimore and being kind of in that scene, were you ever like influenced or digging into like go-go music? I always find that really interesting about the Baltimore music thing. No, that was more of a DC thing. Okay. We would play shows at the Loft, which was a underground metal punk Mm -hmm. place where, where like I saw Slayer for the first time and Corrosion of Conformity and The Obsessed and suicidal everybody everybody who toured through baltimore that was a punk or a metal band played the shitty clubs they weren't even sure. clubs they're they're they were kind of more they were borderline condemned buildings that had still electricity running in. that's you know awesome I mean? so yeah you were able to plug an amp in and go but it was nasty the basements were rat and fest and shit but but like Go-Go was more of a DC thing, and the only band that kind of merged that Go-Go shit was Clutch. Yeah. You could, hear it, you could hear it like in the Blast Furnace record, you know what I mean? Like, there's uh, some, some really cool stuff, but I was a huge Bad Brains fan, and I was a huge Minor Threat fan. Not so much nowadays, you know what I mean? Because I don't know if it was, if I just lost my flavor for like the minor threats. I still love Bad Brains. I thought they were just solar systems ahead of everybody else. Yep. So influential. But yeah, that was more of a DC thing. Baltimore was more of blue collar, straight up rock. You know what I mean? There wasn't even that much metal. You know, some of the, some of the local, like I won't, I won't say competition, but it was more of like, our peer metal bands that were in Baltimore were more Queens Reiki, high pitched singing with really goofy fucking guitar parts and you know I just had absolutely no interest in. I was more about going to a gunfight with a fucking razor blade. But yeah, that was the differences between like DC had more of the way more hardcore, way yeah. more punk rock, way more go go. Baltimore was more Led Zeppelin, ACDC type of type of shit. You know what I mean? Hammerjacks and big hair girls and big hair dudes wearing really silly outfits. You know what I mean? And you know, the whole 80s thing, you know? 
Sure. No, I was just, I'm always curious because I know that was such a weird and interesting scene at that time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really cool, man. Like, you know, the way Clutch kind of intertwined Gogo into some of their stuff, it's such a percussive music, you know what I mean? It's a percussive yeah. uh, thing that it worked great for them because they were very four on the floor, just rocking straight away, fucking grooving shit. So it worked really well with them. Whereas a metal band, that was a little busy. It didn't work as well. For sure. It was such an interesting scene with those two cities at that time, so I had to ask. Yeah, and they're only 40 miles apart from each other. So yeah. you think that there's uh you think that there was some kind of you know artery, like a nexus that it, that connected them. But there really wasn't. It was really different. You know what I mean? Like DC, like when we looked at like the DC scene, they seemed kind of elitist to us back in Baltimore, like sure. snobby is the mm-hmm. best word to look. You know, but later sure. on, you know, I appreciated, I got to appreciate, you know, that music a little bit differently when, you know, I just started to expand my ears a little bit, I guess you could say, to open up to other bands, you know, and other music and stuff like that. 100%. And so you met Chad through touring with Bud Van, right? We met in 2000, it was 2000, 2001, with Nothing Face. And Mudvayne were part of Tattoo the Earth Tour, which was oh, yeah. headlined by Slayer and Slipknot. And, 20 fucking years ago. Yeah, 20 fucking years ago. Yeah. And we just hit it off, man. I remember, you know, uh, Lejean from Seven Dust telling me, like, you got to check this band out. You know, they're kind of like Meshuggah, you know, as far as their proggy type of right. busyness musically about them. And uh, I just remember, you know, seeing them and loving them. I thought they were great, you know, and Chad was fucking awesome. And, you know, we just hit it off, like, right away. You know, really, really good friends, like, immediately. And, you know, we always said, you know, that, uh, you know, you're fucking a cool dude, man. Yeah, you're a fucking cool dude, too. We should do something together, you know, someday. Just jam. And, you know, it took, you know, six, seven years for it to happen when some time opened up and uh the hell yeah it was boring we just we just fucking got on the phone and needed the drummer and jerry our bass player you know one of the original members you know was tight with dime and he had Vinny's number and he just kept hitting him up you know Vinny, Vinny was still kind of uh you know he was he wasn't kind of he was still mourning lost some time to the point where he just didn't care about playing music again and he just kept calling him and calling him and calling him and, calling him. and he finally just you know said all right man you know, fuck you guys come on down and we went down there and boom you know it just, it just didn't stop from that point did you go down there with songs like already written or did you guys just jam and no we didn't have shit actually we had i had riffs you know i had stuff that i had you know been writing you know i had like that song, you wouldn't know. I had the, the main hook written in that one, and nausea, and uh, waging war. Actually, waging war was a song that me and Chad had recorded prior to Hell Yeah, and it was so strong, it was so fucking balls out potent that that's if we wouldn't have recorded that song, it, the band probably never would have happened because that song kind of cemented the idea that dude this is badass we need to really make something happen we really need to make do this and uh that was the only song that was actually 
pre-written before we all got together. And it was the last song that we recorded because we needed another song. You know what I mean? Like we were running out of time and, and we needed one more song. And I'm like, well, what about this track we did, you know, fucking six months ago with, you know, Tommy Sickles, you know, from, you know, our drummer from Nothing Face played on the original version of that. You know, I read a quote that basically just told the story you just did about how you and Chad were just persistent and he kept saying no. And um, speaking of Kiss, he said he was drinking red wine and listening to Kiss on vinyl when he finally mm-hmm. said, all right, he called you guys and said, let's do this. Like, it's just yeah. incredible yeah. how Kiss how Kiss has influenced so many things without even probably being aware of it. As far as you're playing, what do you think about what I'm about to say? Because you may not agree, but I feel like your, your, your style of playing is much different in Hell Yeah than it was in Nothing Face. 100,000%. So is that intentional? Did it just come out organically? Like, how did that develop? If I would have had it my way, it would have been that way. You know what I mean? Like, it would have been all-out fucking warfare from the very beginning. <laughs> we wouldn't have written songs like Alcohol and Ash. We wouldn't have written the entire record of Stampede, which I think is my least favorite record. Is I just say no to that record. <laughs> and even how, you know, even the third album, you know, it, did, it, it took those three records, and then by the time we got to Blood for Blood, that's when I kind of went back to, this is what I want to do kind of a thing. Welcome Home to me sounds more like your early work. Well, Welcome Home, the whole record, you know, Undeniable and uh, Blood for Blood were pretty heavily my responsibility musically. The first three records, there was, you know, other people in the band at the time and there was other influence. And when you're in a predicament or a situation like that, you kind of have to get out of your own way and let everybody else kind of be part of the scene. And got out of my hands a little bit at times. You know, the first record definitely had some of my flavor, I guess you want to say, on it. You know, it wasn't intentional. It's just the way it worked. It's just the way it happened. Like I said, you know, there was other people writing at the time. So you kind of have to, for me, for being in a situation like that, you just kind of have to get out of your own way and let it happen. You know, the first record was so exciting. We wrote it in 17 days. Oh, wow. That's awesome. It was great. You know, we... And then the second record was so alcohol infused and party this and party that. And, you know, it really, and I'm not trying to down, you know, I don't want to talk shit on it, but I'm going to talk shit on it. You know, I just don't like that album. It, it was nothing I would ever have written on my own. Like not a single fucking song on that album is something I would have written on my own. You know, it was just uh, misguided. But it wasn't until the later records like Blood for Blood and you know, Welcome Home where I could just dig deep and like really just let it go and do my own thing. But even at that time, I couldn't like, you know, there, were, there was a sense of I have to pull the reins back a little bit because it wasn't nothing. For me. Mm-hmm. You know, it, wasn't, it wasn't that, that, you know, fuck everything. Let's go to Rome and burn the Vatican down to the mentality. It was not right. that at all. You know, so, you know, you are, you know, musically you kind of become a product of that environment. You know what I mean? And not everybody thinks and feels and, and has the same perception that you do, you right. know, musically. And it was just, you know, it was just different for me in the beginning. It was a, a, an adjustment. I wasn't always happy with songs like in the second and third record, but... The last three records were definitely 
my favorite ones besides the first album. What happens next? Well, with Hell Yeah? Yeah. Well, well with, with Hell Yeah with, and with you, I mean, I don't know. What do you have? Do you have anything else going on? Well, I do. I can't really, I don't want to talk about it yet. That's fine. It's not bearing the fruit yet. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, yeah. it's like the seeds are planted and it's starting to grow and it's really fucking cool and it's totally fucking nasty and gnarly, but it's really infant stages and it's, I don't, can't really go into it yet. Not that I can't, but I just don't want to because I don't no worries. until it's like, if you're developing a dish, you're not going to like talk about it until you fucking mastered it. Of course. Right. You're yeah, not yeah. going to serve it to somebody until it's, it's where you want it to be. And that's kind of where I'm at with it. You know what I mean? It's, it's new. I didn't have any intentions on doing anything. You know, like I really, after Vinny passed away, I was in a really dark place. I went through massive chronic depression and through therapy and the love of my family and all that. I, I you know, rose above it and got out of it, crawled out and found like music is important to me still, you know, and I still have a fucking very deep, endless well of music that keeps coming out you know i'm still writing and i'm still still trying to uh reinvent myself i guess you know if i stay too long in one particular mode i get really bored you know and i i just need to constantly try to reinvent myself musically and try to find <laughs> whether it's riffs or just something new and different and uh that's where i'm at with that you know it's exciting to feel that way you know i really doing something from the beginning from the ground up is a lot of work and I really didn't think I would want any part of it at all. But the people that I'm involved with with this are very, very same-minded as I am, I guess mm-hmm. you could say, and very hungry, very humble, are very open-minded. And I fucking love that. You know, it's, it's pretty refreshing. Hell yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to never say never, you know, but I just don't see anything really happening you know i mean when when vince passed you have to understand that i don't think a lot of people really realize this vince was set aside one of the most badass fucking drummers out there you know what i mean one of the most badass people to be around but he also provided the environment that was the muse for the lifestyle for the music for the camaraderie for the family in most cases, somebody loses their grandfather or their grandmother or their mom or their dad. There's a part of their lives that can never be replaced. They can never feel the same again. Christmases are never the same. Birthdays are never the same. Mother's days are never the same. Sunday dinners are never the same. And that's the same thing as I'm kind of attaching Vinny with that same kind of mentality because going to Dallas or going to Vegas to his house provided that kitchen for what we were creating and Mm -hmm. it's not there anymore. And I can't see replacing that. You know, I just can't, you know, I, I, we can, we could, but will it be the same? I don't know. It won't, it just won't feel the same to me, you know, and I'm not trying to say I won't ever try or not do it. But it's just something that, you know, there's a big fucking fog in front of me when it comes to it. I can't see through it. 
Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I, I don't get it, uh, obviously, because I didn't go through it, but I, but I get it because I've had parallel things happen in my life. So I do totally understand where you're coming from, for sure. I mean, look, I'm not trying to fucking even compare us to Led Zeppelin. Okay? It's not even, I'm using it as an example. John Bonham passed, Led Zeppelin never put another fucking record out. They couldn't. It would never have been the same. There's a million great drummers out there, but that, that unit, that John Paul Jones, Jimmy Page, Robert Plant, John Bonham is what made that Zeppelin. It's the same with us. You know, I mean, I mean, we went through a guitar player change. We went through a bass player change. But Vinny is such a strong presence. I mean, literally, like, you know, it, it was just too much. You know, it was, it was too much of a, of a loss, I think. Yeah, yeah. That I don't think we can bounce back from. I don't. I, re- I just don't. You know, and I don't want to piss anybody off, but I'm just being honest, you know what I mean? And, you know, uh, I don't want a hack version of the band. Yeah, I get it. I don't want that. You know what I mean? There was a certain lifestyle that we had that you couldn't replicate any other way. And, you know, without that, you know, it, it just doesn't seem uh, honest and genuine. It's a very slippery slope. You know, you're talking about somebody who was, you know, not just loved by us, he was loved by his fans, but he was such a, a good soul that provided, you know, this environment that made it what it was. I mean, really, it was literally that huge of a deal. You know, we did everything at his house in Texas. We mm-hmm. did everything at his house in Vegas. Not in my house in Baltimore. Not at fucking Brady's house in Vegas, not at Kyle's house in Atlanta, or Chad, whatever state he was living in at the time. It was all <laughs> around Texas and Vegas. It sucks, you know. I wish he was still here. I wish we were still making music together, but we're not, and and he's he's not. So life goes has to move forward, has to go on. You know, we all have to figure figure out the steps. And like I said, I'm not saying never, but I, I don't see it happening anytime in the foreseeable in the future, you know? Yeah, no, totally understand. Thanks for sharing that. That's a deep story. You know, I'm sure not easy to tell. I'm just trying to be honest and I'm not trying to talk down on it. I'm just being honest about it. And no matter who we get or got to play drums, it just wouldn't be the same. Totally get it. That's all. That's it. That's as simple as that. I almost kind of want to just call it there. I, I thank you for opening up on that level. Well, it helps me to talk about it. For you know, sure. And, and talking talking to two guys who know my history and, you know, means more than doing it with somebody who doesn't know shit. For sure. You know what I mean? And so I would rather, you know, open up to you dudes than somebody polar opposite of who you guys are. hundred percent. No, thanks man. And I, I know for sure that the listeners um, are going to really, really enjoy this episode a lot. Um, Thanks again. Also, we're going to have to have you back on because when you're ready to talk about your new project, uh, we want to hear about it. For sure. And uh, and I think there's something about you having, like, did you develop, we don't have time to talk about it today, but did you develop like a merch company too? Yeah, Black Goat. <laughs> Black Goat, where it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of like a, yeah, it's it's merchandise, but it's also lifestyle shit. Like I, I make these shadow boxes, man. Sold a few of them. I'm working on a new one right now. Are you guys, can you guys see me on camera? Yeah. I can't see it. Yeah. I'm going to show you this face I'm working on right now. It's a death mask. This one's going to be called Roommate, but uh, you can see see it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
And I put them in these, you know, I make shadow boxes out of them. I made a demon box where a friend of mine did a, a little glass miniature little devil. You know, I found some cool wood out in the woods and stuff and used some red and black reindeer moss and some crazy lights and shit. You know, it, it's, it's not something that I'm trying to like rival, you know, affliction or something like that. You know, it's more of an outlet for me just create art in a different way and still have wearables like cool designs for shirts and stuff and we yeah. have we have a cool you know uh, barbecue sauce that we put out with a couple of farmers that i came friends with down in north carolina he's a pepper farmer and he's also kind of like a, a makeshift you know he's just a cook and he developed this really really sweet ass i'm gonna have to send it to you chris so you can check it out it's a, it's a blueberry blackberry raspberry chipotle habanero kind of steak sauce but it's not hot i mean it is spicy but it's more flavor first yeah yeah yeah. we have some shit like that is there like a website or instagram or something where people can find you blackgoatwear.com blackgoatwear.com correct all one word that'll be in the show notes yeah yeah yeah. that'll be in the show notes um and i will tom i'll hit you on the side because i have a barbecue sauce as well so we'll trade i love that idea awesome we're gonna wrap this up we're gonna have you back to talk about your next projects when you are back uh, when you're ready, rather. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, Chris, appreciate it, man. Matt, thank you as well, buddy. Really appreciate having you on. Thank you. It's good to see your face, too. Even though even though our listeners can't see your face, I can. I have to wear glasses, man, now, because my vision, like, I have to wear readers. I mean, I can see, but, like, looking at my screen, I can't see shit, like, unless I have my readers on. So, sorry if I look nerdy. <laughs> for our younger listeners or for Matt, don't get old. That would be my advice. We'll see everyone next time. Take care. All right, so that was awesome. Thank you everyone out there for listening to Delirious Nomads, sponsored by Blacklight Media. We will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest. Be sure to follow Blacklight Media on socials for new music and more, and above all, keep it heavy. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.